What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to slavery or in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your holy word, for the warnings it gives, for the truth that it contains, for the direction in terms of how it shows us how we are to live in a way that is pleasing to you. And I pray, Father, as we talk about those things this morning, that we would take all of it to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to talk about that sketch in a little bit, but I want to say a couple of things at the beginning. Uh, last week, as you know, I wasn't here. I wasn't feeling real well at the time, but uh, the good news is that all of that's been checked out, and I'm doing just fine, and that's probably all I need to say at this point, and we can, uh, I can answer questions if somebody has at another time. But I appreciate uh, Pastor Ron filling in. I'm really going to miss that guy uh, and the great job that he does. And I've told him, uh, being in the area, there may be an occasion when I call upon him too, as well as others in our church who can fill in to speak uh, from time to time too. It's just so good to do that and see how God in His sovereignty works things out for good. Uh, Bev, even last week, who was a part of the sketch today, uh, had laryngitis and so wouldn't have been able to do the sketch last week either. That particular sketch that was shown today, or that, that they portrayed, illustrates a statement that preachers have used for a long time about sin. And that statement is this, that sin will take you farther than you want to go, it will cost you more than you want to pay, and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. Now think about that. Think about what the Bible says about sin and about that particular statement. It's really true, isn't it? And we see examples of that in our world. You can look at, and you can take an example like O.J. Simpson, who was a great athlete, had a wonderful career in the NFL, and then began to make some choices that took him in another direction where he ended up now facing time or in prison because of the actions that he has done over the last few years. He began to make some choices that were sin that led to a greater and greater kind of problems that got into his life. You can look at the governor of Illinois today, you know, and I know these things are allegations, but if it's true that he tried to sell the Senate seat to the highest bidder, he is in a lot of trouble. And there are times when even in our own life we've seen the consequences of this. 
If you tell a lie and then try to cover it up, where does it lead? Well, you have to keep telling other lies if you're going to try and hold that together. And then when the truth does come out, your trust has been broken. And people see that and they wonder if they can trust you to tell the truth again. Sin is costly. And once things are set in motion, we can't control the outcome. And in the passage we're going to look at today, Paul shows us that very clearly. He shows us the seriousness of sin and where it leads. And he gives us this contrast between serving sin and serving God and the huge difference that there is between the two. The problem for many people, even believers, when they come to this passage, though, is the word slavery. We don't like that. The Bible says we're either a slave of sin or a slave of God, but we don't like to hear it that way. We don't want to be anyone's slave. We'd like to think that we are autonomous or free, independent beings that can make choices that we want to make. And the Bible says differently. And I think it's important for us to understand when we come to a passage like this that Paul is using the word slavery as a metaphor or an analogy. Uh, It's a figure of speech, and all analogies, all figures of speech make a point, but they also have limitations. So you don't press the details on everything, and you look for the main point. And the point is, as James Boyce has said, that there is no such thing as absolute freedom for anyone. There's no such thing as absolute freedom for anyone. No human is free to do everything he or she may want to do. The only being in the universe who is totally free is God. The rest of us, everyone else, is limited or enslaved by someone or something. It's like the old Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody. And there is a sense in which we do that, whether we recognize it or not. So the key question that we need to ask is, who or what are we serving? Who or what are you serving? When we come to this passage, Paul tells us that sin is slavery. Now, why does he say that? Well, we're going to look more closely at this text, that sin is slavery, and we see that in verses 15 to 18. At the time that Paul wrote this particular letter to the Romans, it's estimated that one-third of the people that were living in the Roman Empire were slaves. Imagine that. A third of the people living in the Roman Empire are slaves. In addition to that, there's a number of people that are freed men. They once were slaves, but they had worked to earn their freedom. So perhaps... Half of all the people in the Roman Empire at that time had been slaves at one point or another. And they understood what slavery meant. That's why it's a very good analogy to make the point that Paul is going to emphasize. You see, there were two things that people understood about slavery. Slavery meant you had a master, and slavery meant obedience to that master. If you didn't obey, you were in trouble. Obedience was expected, and disobedience was punished. And Paul begins this passage then with a question in verse 15, similar to the one that he asked in verse 1. He said, What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? 
Apparently some had been asking that. They're saying, Paul, if you do away with the law, if you say we don't have to follow all the requirements of the law and we're now under grace, isn't that going to lead to more lawlessness? I mean, won't it kind of run wild here if that's the way that we are going? Well, maybe in the world, but not in the believer. You see, in the world, law does have a restraining effect. It's important to know what the boundaries are and the rules. And even for us as believers, the law, like the Ten Commandments, tells us what God expects. And it tells us His standard of holiness and righteousness. And it gives us an idea about that. But the law doesn't change the heart. The law condemns, but the law doesn't lift up and empower. Grace does that. Grace lifts up an individual and grace empowers. And when you understand how great is the Father's love for us and His grace and mercy in forgiving us, it changes our heart attitude. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in a believer, we are changed and we are given a new power to live the Christian life. Grace does not promote sin. And that's why Paul answers this question, you know, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? He says, by no means. Again, God forbid that we would ever think that way. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. What he is saying is that because of God's grace in our life, all of us have a choice. We have a choice to make about who we are going to follow. We can choose to serve sin or we can choose to serve Christ. We can choose to live our life as slaves of sin or as slaves, again, of God. There's a freedom there to choose what we are going to do. And Paul wants us to realize that when you make that choice, when you offer or yield control of yourself to obey someone or something, you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey. But thanks be to God, he says in verse 17, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin, and have become slaves to righteousness. He's saying to the Romans that when the gospel was preached to you and you heard this truth that we conveyed about Jesus Christ and God's love and mercy and forgiveness, in your heart you believed and you responded to that. You came to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and you were changed by that truth that you believed. That's why you have this freedom. The person who has not accepted Christ or yielded his life to Christ really doesn't have much of a choice. They continue in sin because that's all that they know. And Paul says, you are now free from that. Satan doesn't want us to think of sin as slavery. Satan wants us to think of sin as freedom. He wants us to think that God is the one who is trying to restrict our freedom and to take away those things that are pleasurable to us. It began in the Garden of Eden. When Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, he came to her and he asked her this question. He said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that to you? He was planting seeds of doubt, suspicion, 
mistrust. I mean, God doesn't, you know, why would He do that? That doesn't sound like a very nice thing to do. Why would God say you can't do this? Why wouldn't He want you to be free or experience that ability to eat from every tree that He had made? He was wanting them to question God's goodness or His wisdom. And then He began to plant other seeds of doubt and lies when He said that, you know, God doesn't want you to do that because in the day you eat from that tree, you are going to know good and evil and you will be like God. It's the same lie that He has been using all along. We were created in a way that we need boundaries. We need limits. And we need to understand that we are a creature. And we are made in the image of God. We need to understand that total freedom, as some people describe it, really leads to anarchy. And all you have to do is read the book of Judges to see what happens when every man does what's right in their own eyes. It just leads to greater and greater sin in our world, and the result is devastating for a people. But within the boundaries that God has set, there is freedom and there's joy and there's wholeness. There's goodness and there's love. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's where Paul got this teaching. Jesus Himself said that. If we choose to yield our lives to Satan, to sin, we become a slave of that. And what's sad is that even the believer can become enslaved to sin. A believer can become addicted to gambling. A believer can become hooked on pornography. A believer can find themselves with a critical spirit or bitterness in their heart. A believer can engage in gossip and slander, telling lies. A believer can live a life of deception where on one side they may look really good and they're keeping up this nice front, but in their heart there are real issues. There may be anger. There may be unforgiveness. There may be lust. There may be any of those things that the Bible describes as sin. Where does that lead? Well, Paul tells us in this passage, for example, in verse 19, that sin leads to impurity and to wickedness. He said, I put this in human terms. That's why he's talking about this analogy of a slave. He says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. And just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. On the one side, he is saying that sin leads to greater impurity, which is internal. It affects the heart. And wickedness, that's lawlessness, ever-increasing lawlessness. It affects our behavior and our actions toward others. And you see that in our world. When people you know, give themselves over into sin and follow that, they keep pushing the bounds of it. All we have to do is look at the change that's taken place in television or movies over the years. For those of you that are old enough to know the um, you know, shows in the past, I mean, there was a time when if a couple was married, you go back to Ozzy and Harriet, they couldn't sleep together in the same bed. They had to have twin beds. I mean, that was kind of the way it was. You can never show a crime in a movie in a way that someone could see it and repeat it. 
or figure out how they did it. You know, you just knew that a crime was committed. There were things that were done like that, that sort of there was a code, a moral code on movie making or television that said, you know what? We have a responsibility to those who watch these shows not to encourage lawlessness, but to promote things that are good and right in our culture. Well, that's totally gone. And people keep pushing the boundaries farther and farther into sin and trying to shock or trying to be edgier than the latest thing that was done. It leads to greater impurity and wickedness. Paul also says that sin leads to shame and guilt. In verse 21, he talks about when we were living our life apart from Christ, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Now think about that. Are there things in your past that you wish that you could erase? Are there things that you have said or done in the past that you now regret and when you think about them, you're ashamed that you did that? I think probably all of us have things like that that we would look back on and we'd say, I'd like to do that over if I could. Or I wish I hadn't said that. Or I wish I hadn't done that. Or instead, I wish I had acted in a way that was more honoring to Christ. People carry deep things in their heart. I mean, people have done things in their life that were truly sinful and they are ashamed of them and they, they feel that weight. There are sometimes when people will come to me and they'll say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. And they carry this huge burden. And, and they don't know if they can fit into the church. They don't know if people really knew them, if they would love them and accept them because of what they've done. How do you deal with that? What do you do? We need to bring it into the light and ask for God's forgiveness. Sometimes you need to confess that to another person who will keep that in confidence just so that you can get that out into the open and you can hear their forgiveness. so You can hear their affirmation. There are times when people come to church and they look at everybody else and they think everybody else has got their life together and it's perfect and they've never had troubles or problems they wouldn't understand and that's just not true. Everybody here who knows Christ has a story. They have a testimony that they could give of God's grace and His mercy and His love. So don't let Satan keep you in bondage any longer because of things that may have been part of your past. But bring that to God and experience His forgiveness. And Paul also says that sin leads to death in verse 23. He tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word for wages there in Greek, it was the word that was used for the daily ration of food that was paid to a Roman soldier. That was his wage. He got so much food each day. That's what you were paid. The idea here is that sin pays its wages every day. Every day that we live in sin, we feel the consequences of that. We reap the consequences of that. It's a slow death, if you will. I mean, it affects relationships. It affects our spirit. It's like when David sinned against God and he knew what he had done when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Every day God's hand was upon him and he fell way down like in the fever heat of summer is the way he described it. 
He felt the weight of his sin and it wasn't until he confessed that to God and it got out in the open that he felt that burden lifted and forgiven. And were there consequences for his sin? Yes, there was. It was trouble for David's house. And even that child would die. You look at the consequences of sin and we see that all the time. In fact, a couple of verses of Scripture that describe that so clearly are Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Where God says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For a man reaps what he sows, and the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And I look at that, and I I see those contrasts between sowing to the flesh and what you reap, or sowing to the Spirit and what you reap. And the question I ask is, why would anyone want to live in the flesh? Why would anyone want to sow to the flesh when where it ultimately leads is to death and separation from God? Well, I want to look at the other side of the coin. Because Paul goes on to say that slavery to God is not like slavery to sin. For one thing, he tells us we have a new master who loves us and who gave his life for us. And that alone should be a reason to rejoice in what God has done. This change of master, this new Lord that we have. The old master is a liar and a deceiver. And Jesus said that. In John 8.44, He said that He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in Him. And when He lies, He speaks His native language, for He is a liar and the father of lies. He's talking about Satan. Satan is a liar and a deceiver. Jesus speaks the truth. He tells us that the old master wants to destroy you. I mean, that's why Satan came. That's his aim. Whereas Jesus came to give his life for us. In John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief, that is Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I mean, that's Jesus' intent is that we should be forgiven, that we should experience a new life in Christ and the fullness of joy that he comes to give. And when we've made that change, and when we have placed our faith in Christ and experienced His joy, you know exactly what He means. You know, I think about the change that takes place. I've heard people describe it where before they met Christ, you know, and they were living a life of sin, and they they would try to all kinds of things to find pleasure in life. And then they came to know Christ. And for the first time in their life, maybe they went to a party where there wasn't alcohol and they just had a good time laughing with friends and talking and playing games and doing things. And they woke up the next morning and there was no hangover. And they looked back on that evening and they said, you know what, I can't remember the last time I had so much fun. That was pure fun. Goodness. Wholesome. Honest. Fellowship with other believers. There's a huge change that comes when we give our life to Christ. Stuart Briscoe tells about when he was a young man, he was drafted into the military in England. He served as a Marine there. And he had a drill sergeant who seemed like his aim in life was to make life miserable. 
you know, and drill sergeants sometimes get that reputation as they work with these new recruits. And everything had to be done just so, from the way that he was dressed to the way he stood, to his attention, to his following orders and instructions. Well, the time came when Stuart Briscoe had served his term and he was out of the military, and then one day he heard the voice of his old drill sergeant. And it was like immediately, I mean, the reaction was like to stand at attention. I mean, everything just, you know, wanted to fall back in line. And then he realized that he was free. I mean, he didn't have to, he didn't have to listen to those orders any longer. And he described it, you know, that that drill sergeant, I mean, he was still alive, I was still alive, but my relationship to him had changed. I had a new freedom. And I could live in that freedom. And that's the way it is for the believer. We may at one time have been slaves to sin and listening to Satan's orders in our life, but we have been set free. And we have a new Master who loves us and gave Himself for us. That's why Paul goes on to say that in Christ we have this new freedom. Chrysostom, who was one of the early fathers in the church, a great preacher of old said that this freedom is better than any slavery. (laughs) It is great to be free in Jesus Christ. Because what that means is that we are free to become the person we were made to be. With all of the dross removed, we are free to become that person that God created you and me to be. You know, a number of years ago, McAllister College used to do a Scottish fair every year in May. And Gail and I would go down there and sometimes we'd take the kids and we'd enjoy uh, the things that they had going on. They'd have all of the, um, you know, guys with the bagpipes marching on the athletic field and they'd do their precision marching and it was just beautiful to hear that sound. Uh, They'd have uh, games and activities and demonstrations that were going on and artwork and food and all of that. But one of the things that stood out one year that I remembered was when they had um, a master with his sheepdog. And they had these sheepdogs herding sheep. And that guy would stand and he had trained his sheepdog and he just blew the whistle and whether it was, you know, a certain number of beeps or short or long or whatever it was, it meant a different command to turn them right or left or to round them up or to bring them in or to take them out. And when you watch that dog, that dog was in his glory. That dog was doing what he was created to do because he listened to his master and he obeyed. And it was beautiful to watch. If you'd ask that dog, was that slavery? No, he wouldn't think of that as slavery at all. That was a delight. And when we find in ourselves that we are doing the very things that God created us to be, we discover our gifts and we are using those in a way that honors Him. We've learned to listen to our Master's voice in terms of the decisions we make about life. We've chosen to, fo- or chosen to follow Him, you know. It just brings great joy and delight in our heart. That's why slavery to God, if you will, is different than slavery to sin. And that's what this process called sanctification is all about. It is removing the sin from our life and it's making us more and more like Christ in our thoughts and attitudes and actions. 
And don't you look forward to that day when the dross is removed from your life. All the sin is gone. And you are fully that person that God made you to be. I think in heaven we're going to be using the same kinds of gifts that He has given to us now. I think that heaven isn't just simply a place where we are worshiping God. We will do that, but we will also worship Him through our work. And using our gifts and our abilities that He has given to us in that day without the thorns and the thistles and the toil and all of those things that so frustrate us in this life. And even the times in ourselves when we wrestle with decisions, did I do the right thing or not? In that day, we will be made whole. And there will be no frustrations like that. But instead, we will see and know one another and we will recognize those gifts and abilities and there will be great joy. Well, in this life, how does that happen? How do we grow in our relationship with Christ in that way? It begins with these two words that Paul emphasizes here. It begins with yielding the throne of our life to Christ as our Savior and Lord, and then obeying Him. It's the word offer and obey. When we offer ourselves to God and say, Here I am, Lord, use me. And when we choose to obey His Word and delight in that, a change takes place. Obedience is a necessary part of spiritual growth. We need to say no to sin. We need to choose to study God's Word. We need to choose to be in fellowship with believers and come to worship so that we might grow in our relationship with Him. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit when He prompts us to minister and maybe to come alongside someone or pray for them or or drop them a note or help them with their work or whatever it may be that He asks of us. God expects us to obey Him. But you know that even our obedience is a part of His grace and His goodness. Philippians 2.12 and 13 says this, We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. There is a responsibility that we are to do to work things out in our life, but all the time it's God who is at work in us to give us both the will and the desire to act according to His good purpose. Thank you, Jesus. I can't do this on my own. I am so grateful for His grace. So where does obedience to righteousness lead then? Well, Paul tells us it leads to ever-increasing holiness. It leads to things like peace and joy and love and patience and kindness in our life. It leads ultimately to eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So look at this summary statement, verse 23, once again. He tells us the wages of sin is death. Think of wages as something you earn or deserve. What we deserve as a consequence of our sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift that is freely given, the gift that is undeserved, the gift that comes as a result of God's grace, is eternal life in all of its fullness, not just in the future, but even here today when we walk with Him. And all of that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift is not like the trespass. It is so much greater. 
And when I think about these verses, you know, and I think about this message in regard to Christmas, on the one side, this doesn't sound much like a Christmas message, if you will. It's not a traditional Christmas text. Yet on the other side, it's the whole reason why Jesus Christ came. It's the gift that God gave so that we might be free from sin and might live to Christ and honor Him. You know, Paul's favorite term to describe himself was the word doulos. It means slave. He called himself a slave of Christ. That's how he began the letter to the Romans. I am a bondservant of Christ. That's the way he would tell others. If you ask me who I am, he didn't say, you know, I'm a scholar, I'm a teacher, I've been trained in this or that, and you ought to listen to me. No, I'm a person who has become a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I have chosen to do that willingly. Because Paul knew that real freedom and joy is found only in following Christ. So the question that I believe this text asks all of us is whose slave are you? Let's pray. Father, that's a question that all of us need to answer when we come before you. Who are we serving? What do we set our affections on? What do we desire out of life? And who is it that we are trying to please? Father, I pray with all our heart that we could say to You, Jesus, I want You to be the Lord of my life. And I invite You to take control of the throne of my life. I want You to be my Savior and Lord. I trust You and I want to serve You. And Father, would You show me what it is that You want me to do? Help me to use my gifts and abilities in a way that honors and pleases You. Help me to turn away from sin. Help me to be aware of that and to see how it has creeped into my life. Lord, instead, help me to choose to follow Jesus Christ in all that I say and do. I want to be more like Him. And I thank You, Father, for Your grace and forgiving me calling me to be your child. Lord, thank you for this gift that was given at Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.